Welcome to Forecast, wealth strategies and investing advice for you. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Ah, there we go, the wonderful music, and welcome everyone to the Farcast. We thank you very much for joining us again this week. Last week's show, absolutely fabulous with Ken Polkari and my uh, friend Doug Cass. Uh, terrific. We we also talked politics. We talked about what was going on uh, with tax policy. And, you know, this this market and the government and everything else does nothing but provide us more fodder. And some of it's just fascinating. Some of it head scratching. Some of it absolutely cringe inducing. And, and I'm, I'm, you get embarrassed even when you're alone listening to your radio. But it gives us a lot to talk about and a lot to think about as we think about investing and deploying other people's money in their best interest. So remember that here on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make and that dispassionate, dogged, fundamental research and a clear investment plan are the keys to success. So let's talk about just the, just, just some of the news in the past week. We've had quarterly earnings that have come in just in very, very, very strongly. We've had a huge tech rally, huge stock gains Friday uh, for some of the FANG stocks, huge oil rally with oil uh, now up over $54, almost $54 and a half, moving to $55 and a half a barrel. Uh, Gold's been about flat. The 10-year Treasury's hanging in. It's still fairly low yields at a 238. The dollar has been strong, uh, about 116 to the euro. You know, one of the things I want to just run by, too, when we talk with Kenny Polcari, who's coming up, of course, in our stock section, uh, the German 10-year is paying 0.36 of 1%, and the Japanese 10-year is paying 06 one-hundredths of 1%. So you give your money to buy a 10-year Japanese bond, and you, you get back something like, you know, 6 cents after i mean after a year it's 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 a head scratcher really to try and figure out why people would do that other than you're just trying to keep your money somehow safe but it's it's tough to figure out so we've had uh october has now in the books seven months of gains in a row it's been just a terrific year stocks are up about 15 percent tax reform continues out of washington we have a new Fed chair who's going to be announced on Thursday. Hold all tickets. This is an unpredictable president. Don't think you know what he's going to say, but if the rumors we're hearing are right, and when I talk to Matt Leffingwell, we're going to tell you, but uh, we're hearing the rumors. You might be hearing them, too. We're going to tell you about Jay Powell. Jay's been a friend for years. I want to tell you about him. The Mueller investigation. Oh, my goodness, the Mueller investigation. We had indictments issued today. Paul Manafort and... George Papadopoulos, oh, and Tony Podesta, another one bites the dust. Tony Podesta, Tony Podesta is one of the most prestigious, important lobbyists in Washington. Not only a lobbyist, Matt Leffingwell tells me, but a serious bundler. Do you know what a bundler is? Matt Leffingwell is going to explain it. But first, my great friend, the brilliant, the handsome, devastatingly handsome and much older he's much older than i am kenny polcari is here we're going to talk about uh this week kenny and i are going to really try and break it down how does one go about investing in a market that's making all-time highs should you be buying here should you be selling here 
What are the rules? And I asked Kenny, I sat down this morning and I thought, all right, I want to talk about, see if I can talk about where I've made mistakes in the past, because God knows I've made a lot of them. So, uh, and we like to learn from them. Some of them it's hard to learn from because you really didn't see them coming and you probably won't see, you know, that next uh, big pitfall coming. But if, if you, we try to learn from the past. So I'm going to share three of my mistakes and Kenny's going to share three of his as we talk about stocks and markets and all of what's going on uh, that we think could be important to investors. Kenny, my friend, how are you? We know you're older, but tell us the rest. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. It's very happy. I'm happy once again to be on the show with you, Mike, as always. Well, it's great to have you here. Kenny, tell me, okay, so what do you think, see is going on in the markets? We've had some great earnings. Interest rates are staying well. Stocks seem to be going through the roof, and the FANG stocks are just getting more expensive every day. The FANG stocks are getting more expensive, and really, you know, what you should do is just to make it clear, the FANG stocks, for those who are unaware, would be the stocks that Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google would be defined as the FANG stocks, right? Some people just eliminate Apple and just leave it with Amazon, but I throw both of them in there because I think they're actually both very, very important. But look, those names have gone absolutely bonkers through the roof. The earnings that we got last week uh, created even more excitement. On Friday was the day not to be believed in terms of how the tech rally played out after we got the earnings from Google and Microsoft and Intel. It was a spectacular day. Um, and it really dragged all, certainly dragged the NASDAQ way higher, uh, the S&P. The Dow did not participate so much because uh, a lot of those tech names are not in the Dow 30, right? So the, the broader S&P and the NASDAQ did perform better as a result. But look, Technology is changing the face of the world we live in. It changes it every single day. And so when you see companies like that not only, not only beating the estimates, but growing their top line in, in earnings season, it's all about is, how is the company managing their estimates? Are they managing through cost cuts uh, and, 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 and you know, efficiencies like that? Or are they actually growing the top line? Growing the top line is what you want to see. That's okay, so, you, Kenny, Kenny, let's look at one of these things because – Google, right, or they call they changed the name to Alphabet. Why in the right. hell they changed the name to Alphabet, I still don't understand. I mean, Google, you know, I was on the air on CNN FN with Rhonda Schaffler. Do you remember Rhonda? Yeah, of I think course she, I remember Rhonda. She, Rhonda's awesome. But so Rhonda, I think now is with Bloomberg. I'm not sure. But Rhonda and I were doing the morning show for CNN FN, and we interviewed this uh, new kid, Sergey, somebody, uh, yeah. who uh, had this new company called Google. Now, you have to remember the late 90s because yeah. every dot-com, you know what I mean, was coming up. Yeah. You, you heard these, and I thought, now there's the dumbest new made-up name I've ever heard. And you got this kid <laughs> who talks funny, you know, who looks like he's about 12, who's telling me why his company's going to be successful. Oh, yeah. my God, was the kid. I mean, Jesus. But so, uh, so now we, we had Google. I mean, I sat there and I thought, what is a Google? And why would you name your company Google? We were serious back then. We're not right. serious. But, but look at that. Google is now a verb that people use it in, in, in common language, right? Google this, Google that. I got Google. I got Googled. I mean, it's really unbelievable how, <laughs> how, how that. So you laugh when you, you laugh when you, you do. but it's so yeah. true. I know. Getting, getting Googled should be more fun than it is. Yes. I mean, it sounds really. Okay, but now let me, let me look. Because when I look at Alphabet, when I look at Google, Revenues, right, for this last quarter increased 23.7% to $27.8 billion. That was ahead of a $21.9 billion consensus estimate. 
Now right. think about that. It's crazy. Seven point eight billion in a quarter. In a quarter. These, in a quarter. These, yeah, these guys pick up five, almost six billion dollars more in a quarter. Now that's gross sales. So earnings per share. Once we take out the overhead, they were up thirty-two percent. Revenues were up twenty-three percent. Earnings up thirty-two percent to nine dollars and fifty-seven cents. Everybody thought the analysts on the street, all these bright MBAs who went to Harvard and Yale and. Uh, Stanford said they they their best work showed them that Google was going to earn eight dollars and thirty five cents. I mean, they came in at nine dollars and fifty seven cents, crushed the estimate. So revenue came. Uh, revenue was terrific. Overhead costs, uh, you, you know, uh, they over were easily beaten down and yep. the operating margin expanded. I mean, these are good, strong companies. Should they should they be this expensive, do you think, Kenny? Well, listen, they're this expensive because they keep going up in value and they're not being split, right? These companies are not splitting their stock. They don't want to split their stock. It's almost like the more expensive it becomes, the more cachet they have, the more pull they have. It's almost like that Berkshire Hathaway kind of mentality, right, that they don't that they're not looking to have a $30 stock. They don't want their stock to trade like that. They want their stock to be different, and so they're just allowing it to go. They're choosing not to split it. And listen, there's a conversation about that, too, about, about companies that are allowing their stocks to increase in value and not splitting them because the way market structure is today, when you split a stock and it becomes less expensive, you get a whole lot of that chaotic kind of high-frequency trading. If you don't split the stock and it remains expensive, you, you eliminate that, that group in your stock, and companies actually prefer to eliminate that group. And so there's a couple of reasons that you're seeing not only the stock's Trading higher, but the stock's not want the company's not wanting to split them. So okay, no but problem. it wasn't at all. But wait a minute, it was also true, Kenny, that we wanted Fred and Ethel in the days of yore. We wanted to make sure that a stock was accessible to the individual investor, and it's well, a little intimidating at a thousand dollars a share. Well, I, mean, I get to buy, be. you know, ten shares for ten thousand dollars. I mean, that's, yeah. that's that's not much well, fun, is it? No, no. Well, it's not much fun, but the fact is, if you are an investor and you've got the plan in place, like you like you said. If you're doing whether you're doing monthly investments or however you're doing it, you're just dollar cost averaging. Over time, you're going to end up buying it. So whether it's a thousand dollars a share or two thousand dollars a share, you're going to keep picking away at it, and you are going to participate in in the betterment of of you know not only that stock as it does better, your portfolio is going to do better, your dividends are going to be reinvested. Those are all things that you should be doing. So yes, I agree with you that you want mom and pop in there. But mom and pop can be in there. They're just in their fractions of a share, right? Well, and they might be in there by buying an ETF or by buying a no-load mutual fund. Or they may have ownership in a lot of ways that are perhaps more affordable, right? Well, right. So if you look at the tech ETF, which is the XLK, it's the Spider Technology ETF, and it gives you immediate exposure to a range of tech stocks. So you can't necessarily say, gee, I own, you know, 500 shares or 1,000 shares of Google, you own Google through this ETF, so you are participating as Google appreciates in value, your ETF appreciates in value, and therefore you are participating. So you're right. There are other ways for mom and pop and the retail investor to get involved. So Alphabet shares are now trading at 32 times uh, 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 2017 estimates and uh, a calendar year 2017 estimates and 25 times calendar year 18 estimates. That's about a 40% premium to the S&P 500. So, I mean, that valuation's getting up there, but right. you're, I mean, it comes with kind of almost double the long-term growth rate in terms of earnings growth 
of the S&P 500. So if the company is growing the earnings twice the rate of the S&P 500 and it's selling at a 40% premium, maybe that's okay. Please, I'm going to ask one more thing, though. I'm going to interrupt one second, Kenny. Please know that our head of compliance, Susan Candace at Farmiller in Washington, uh, is is right on her, uh, is, is, you know, wringing her hands right now, wondering what I'm going to say next, as she <laughs> usually does. But if we are not recommending any stock here to buy or sell, we're not recommending you take any investment action ever. If you think you've heard an investment recommendation on the forecast, I assure you, you haven't. If you think you want to go do something with your investment portfolio, please check with your investment professional. Or, of course, of course, you can call us at Farm Miller in Washington. But, Kilkenny, when you see a stock that's trading at a premium of 40% and earnings are growing at double the rate of the broader index, is it expensive or, or not? Well, well, you know, that, like you just said, some people would view it as not expensive. Other people just can't get over, you know, they just look at the price and think it's too expensive. But the way you lay it out in terms of the growth rate versus the broader S&P versus what the industry does, no, I actually think it's kind of in line with what the industry is for that type of tech stock, right? But again, like you said, I'm not necessarily suggesting anybody they go out and buy it. They've got to talk to their own financial planner and decide what kind of portfolio they're building, how aggressive they want to be, how much risk they want in there, what does that risk you know, what does a stock like Google entail in terms of the amount of risk they want to take? And so, therefore, there's a lot that goes into building your portfolio. But just from a, just from a Google company standpoint, it is truly an amazing company that has not only changed the world, but will continue to change the world. Kenny and I get to talk about these things all the time and companies back and forth. Uh, and if you think that we're any different we're just when we're just on the phone alone with each other, we're not. This is this is the way that, sorry, uh, it, you can get worn out if you're in the room with the two of us. And by the way, don't plan to get a word in edgewise if you go to dinner with Kenny. So at some point, we'd like to have you all to come in and have dinner with us. Look, so my, the brilliant Harry Jennings, uh, who works at Farm Miller in Washington, Harry uh, sent me a fabulous Benjamin Graham quotation. I want to read it before we move on to the next segment here. Benjamin Graham said, the best way to measure your investing success is not by whether you're beating the market, but by whether you put in place a financial plan or a behavioral discipline that are likely to get you where you want to go. I mean, are you getting to go where you want to go? Do you have a financial plan, and are you making progress? It's not about whether you're beating the market. It's whether you're making progress towards your goals. And that's correct. And so whoever that financial planner is that's helping you do it, and so it could very well be Michael Farr at Farm Miller, Washington, but who no, it, it definitely is, could need, be, yes. <laughs> it could be. There, there needs to be the plan, and I think that's really the key to, to what we should be talking about so that people understand, right? It's not, about, it's not about trying to do it yourself. It's not about trying to say, well, I like this, but I like that, so I'm just going to buy this and buy that. It's about having a very specific plan and, and a very specific kind of time schedule on how you build it. So I, get, I was asked... Uh, on the nightly business report, or no, I was asked on Power Lunch for CNBC. They said, Michael, you know, shouldn't we be selling stocks right now? I mean, stocks are really high. Shouldn't you be selling them? And my answer, Kenny, was, you know, I don't think you sell it. You sell it because you have a discipline. You don't sell it because you wet your finger and hold it in the wind and say, well, I have a feeling or I have an aching in my joints or my lumbago's acting up, so therefore maybe I should sell. No, if you have a discipline, uh, you need to review your discipline. So let's say, and I'm going to do some math here on the forecast. 
if you have a portfolio where you've decided it's appropriate or you with your advisors have decided it's appropriate for you to be invested 70% in stocks and 30% in bonds, and that's where you were on January 1st this year, right now the S&P 500 is up 15%. So let's say you own the S&P 500. It's up 15%. So you have a million-dollar portfolio. You were going to have 70% of it in stocks. That's $700,000 in stocks in January. But it's up 15%. So now that's a gain of $105,000. So now you have $805,000 in stocks. And your portfolio is worth now $1.1 million. I'm going to presume, just for the sake of the argument here, that bonds haven't done anything, that they're unchanged, and you still have 300000 Right. So... You look at that $1.1 million and you say, I, I no longer have 70% in stocks. I've got more in stocks. So what is 70% of $1.1 million? Well, it's 770000 How much money do I have in stocks? Well, I've got $805,000 in stocks right now. So I need to sell $35,000 worth of stocks to get back, in, to, get back to my allocation of 70-30. Did, did that make sense, Kenny? Did you, did you follow yeah. that math? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, see, but you're brilliant. I wonder, I, I, I wonder if Boris would have followed the math there. <laughs> Why don't we ask him? Boris, are you, uh, you know, I worry about Boris. If he's, if he's, running, if he's running the board, uh, if he can actually do math at the same time. I'm sorry, I was, I, just, I, count, I just, I was just counting how many shares of Google I just purchased. I was not listening. That's just what I needed to hear. I I more was wondering why you were taking your shoes and socks off over there to count. That kind of got me worried. Well, that's how Mama and Papa taught me how to count a long time ago. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. That's just fabulous. Okay, Kenny, Kenny. So tell me tell me how you look at it. I mean, you've been on the floor for third floor of the stock exchange for thirty years. You've seen expensive markets before. What, what should my rules be for thinking about an expensive market like this? Well, so listen, again, uh, and, and this is, this is what, what you know, makes it always curious to me. A lot depends on who you are, where you are in your life cycle, where you are in the investing, how much risk you want to take, how much risk you don't want to take. If you're 25 years old, you're willing to take more risk because you have more time. If you're 60 years old, you obviously want less risk because you've got less time. And so all those factors play into whether or not you think the market's expensive or you want to be in it, you want to be out of it. Again, it's a matter of kind of managing that expectation. And if you're really concerned that you think the market's expensive and you think it's going to have a significant pullback, and listen, let's talk about that for a minute. Remember, anything within, anything between zero and 9.9% and is well within a normal trading range of a market. Once you hit 10%, you're into this correction phase. Once you hit 20%, you're into a bear market. So you have to kind of pick along the way what your risk is, where you want to be. But if, if the market is, if you think the market's going to pull back 3 or 4%, there's no reason to get panicky at all. If you think the market's going to pull back 10 or 12 or 15%, if you want to lighten up some names and put that money in cash to protect your portfolio, that's perfectly okay to do. Have that conversation with your, with your advisor. Figure out where you're going to draw that money from. Then you would typically you would typically look at the stocks that have outperformed the ones where you've got excessive gains and start to peel a little bit off of that. You maintain a core position, but peel a little bit off of that and put the money back on the side and hold it till you think it's it's time to go in again. 
Yeah, but okay, so here's the problem with that. I mean, for me, I agree with you in terms of reducing risk when the markets become more risky, but it's how you assess the risk and how you assess your risk. I mean, if, if, if we had had this conversation, and you and I have had this conversation on CNBC, five years ago, we thought stocks had moved pretty far in, you know, three years from the bottom out of the out of the right. great low of, of 09. And, right. you know, three years ago, two years ago, at the beginning of this year, if you had asked anybody if they thought stocks would go up 15% more in 2017, you know, they would have carried you away in the straitjacket, right? I mean, they nobody would. thought it would do this. They would, but I will say, because back in January, and I was probably one of those people that said, there's no way, there's no way. But as the year went on, look, the macro data really did, in fact, start improving, not only in this country, but it started improving in Europe. And so, therefore, it's dynamic. It's not static, right? You can't just make a decision in January and say, okay, that's what it's going to be. You have to be much more willing to be dynamic and, and, and change as the, as the broader situation changes. And so the fact is, and as much as I think the Fed you know, has continued to push the markets higher, the fact is, the Fed's now going to start to raise rates. They're now going to start to pull back. Yet the market keeps going higher because it does feel like the data is getting better. So, therefore, is it expensive? I don't know. That's always that's always a catch. If you think it's really expensive, though, then you need to have that conversation. Well, okay. So, Kenny, you, Kenny just made a really important point, and it's and it's actually a brilliant point, and and it was a little bit technical there. So, I want to back up and break it down for a second because it was really just an outstanding point. Kenny said that you, one of the things you're going to look at is how much the fundamentals have improved if the valuations have improved over the period that you've owned the stock. So if you own stocks at the A stock uh, at the beginning of this year and the market price is now up 15%, but the earnings went up 15%, it's arguably no more expensive than it was at the beginning of the year. If the stock went up 15% and the earnings didn't move, it's a lot more expensive, you know, or, you know, uh, vice versa. I mean, you know, you can see if the earnings have gone down and, 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 and that wouldn't be good. But the fundamentals and the data coming out from earnings, we talked about uh, Alphabet Google's earnings that were up so much. We've been talking about the economic data and look, Unemployment is way down. We're, we're starting to get down to almost 4% on unemployment data. Uh, average uh, hourly earnings are starting to see an uptick. We're not seeing significant inflation. So, and then, uh, you know, basically energy costs are relatively low. The consumer is relatively strong. Consumer confidence is hitting all-time highs. So the fundamental economic state of the economy continues to grow and may, and certainly to some, some extent, the, a growing economy supports increasing stock prices. You, you, can't, you still can't draw a straight line there, but, but, but Kenny just made a really excellent point. So, Kenny, we are way over our time, but this has been so excellent. Let's t- tell me your quick, do you have, can we do th- your three rules, and then I'll do mine really quickly. So, well, you three rules, you mean three mistakes. Three mistakes. Three yes. mistakes. Yes. Now this I is think, tough for Kenny because he's made almost he makes almost no mistakes. Oh yeah, right. I, yeah. I I checked with his wife. She told me he was perfect. Uh, well, you know, it, it's it's wonderful. Tell me tell me investing mistakes. I I think the mistakes that people make and mistakes that I made early on uh, was that I didn't put 
you know, I didn't put enough away when I was younger. Like I didn't, like I thought I had too much time. I had so much time. Oh my God. I wasn't going to pay attention to putting money away when I was 25, 28, 29, 30 years old. And and quite honestly, I've, I've got two daughters that are 27 and 30. And I, I hit them over the head saying to them, listen, you need to start now. Don't, don't do what I did. Start now because you'll be so much happier when you get to be my age on what it's going to look like, right? If you're consistent and you stay with it, and you've got the right plan. It would be the first one. Okay. I think the second mistake ends up happening is I, I think people always think that the good time is going to go on forever and that, yes. uh, you know, they feel good right now and everything's great and blah, blah, blah. And they, maybe they get in over their head or they, or they, or they extend themselves too much. And all of a sudden the good, the good times end and they're sitting there scratching their head going, geez, how did that happen? That wasn't supposed to happen. Well, guess what? Always better to be cautious and be more conservative the whole way through. No matter how good times, no matter how good the times get, always better to be conservative. You know, that's such an excellent point, Kenny. And one of my consistent rules for investing, rules for investing is that if it feels bad, do it. If it feels bad to buy, that's when you should be buying. If it feels bad to sell, that's when you should be thinking about selling. So if it feels bad, if it feels good, be careful. If it feels good, be careful. Okay, third mistake, Kenny. And I think the third mistake that I think everyone at one point maybe gets into is, and a lot of it is 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 caused by just the freebies that you get in the mail, is that people just get in over their heads with credit cards, right? They're getting credit card debt, and the next thing you know, before they before they realize it, they don't realize how far they've gotten in, and then they they, they feel like they can't get out. And so that's an easy easy pit to fall in, especially when every time you come home and there's five more free credit card offers in your in your in your in your mailbox. And you open them up and they say, sign on here and here you go. I think that's very, very dangerous and people need to be quite careful about that. When I when I get them, I rip them up and I toss them away. I need another one. I don't want another one. I haven't asked for another one. I've told my kids the same thing. Rip them up and throw them away. Please listen to Kenny Polcari if you're out there and thinking about credit cards or if you have credit card debt. You know, paying down credit card debt gets you probably one of the best returns you can get on your money and almost guaranteed. If you're out there paying 18% to somebody else, start right. paying yourself. Pay that off as uh, fast as you can. But you know, my father that's what you are paying. That's what yeah, you're paying. Yeah, it is. 18%. You know, my father told me when I was graduating, you know, was just graduating from college and starting to work, he said, you pay that credit card off every month. I don't care if you have one, two, or three. Either gas card, everything. Don't you carry a balance month to month. I've done it. I've given that same lecture to my children. And if you want to talk to people who have acquired wealth and who have amassed wealth uh, in, in their lives and savings, there's a big difference. There are the people who don't carry that debt. There are the people who save yeah. money and pay it off every month. Uh, you can be in that group or you can be in the group who's dodging the bill payer and the collection agency. Uh, you're a have or you're a have not. This is an important lesson from Kenny Polcari. I hope everybody listens. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we are way over time. Kenny, what an excellent session. And I, it, I'm, I'm stunned by everything that's happening. We've got a new Fed chairman we could hear about on Thursday. We've got so much to talk about next week. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Okay, Ladies I'll and put- gentlemen, from O'Neill Securities Managing Director, Kenny Polcari, my very good, brilliant, much older friend. Kenny, thank you for being with us <laughs> on the forecast. Good night, Michael. You're listening to Forecast, wealth strategies and investing advice for you. This portion of the forecast is brought to you by the nation's capital, Humane Rescue Alliance, dedicated to ensuring the safety of welfare of all animals in our nation's capital. The Humane Rescue Alliance protects and serves more than 60,000 animals annually. 
HRA's programs range from rescue and adoption to humane law enforcement and low-cost veterinary services. These programs are supported almost entirely by private contributions by individuals who support the mission to protect and defend homeless, abused, and abandoned animals. Visit HumaneRescueAlliance.org to learn how you can support these life-saving programs. This is just a great group, and I hope you take a look at them, folks. This is Forecast, wealth strategies and investing advice for you. Oh, boy, it's hard to stay in your seat. Just hard to keep your feet still when you hear that fabulous music bringing us back into the Forecast. Welcome back to the Forecast. We're so glad you're with us. Remember, money's hard to make, and dogged, dispassionate fundamental research and a clear investment plan are the keys to success. I'm Michael Farr. I'm so glad you're with us. Boris, what was that fabulous music we were listening to? This song is one the old kids are dancing to in the streets of Moscow. It's called Rubles Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> a big hit. <laughs> that's, that's the toe tapper in Moscow. Rubles Can't Buy Me Love. That's right. Fabulous. Uh, it's it's a, it's a catchy title. I wonder if it, that could go global, I think. We're hoping so. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Okay, well, what a terrific segment with my friend Kenny Polcari. You know, uh, as much as we were discussing a lot of fundamentals about investing in the first segment, I will tell you that as, a, as 30-year veterans that Kenny and I both are of the investment business, uh, it's reassuring to hear people walk through those steps again. I hope it was informative. I hope on the forecast that you're learning something, that when you, you finish listening, you can say, wow, uh, I, I now know more. I have a clearer way to think about my investments, my plan, what's going on in Washington, what's going on with my portfolio. Oh, and what I also hope you'll do is say, I've, you know what? I've got four or five friends that would like to hear it. Please email them the link. Please help us out. We're doing guerrilla marketing with the Fardcast, Fardcast with distribution, and we need your help. So uh, if you can help email it, tell people about us. We really do appreciate that very much. Okay. Now, government has been going crazy this week, right? I mean, we, we're still hearing more out of the White House and Capitol Hill and who's in and who's out. The uh, Mueller's indictment today of Manafort uh, doesn't seem to affect Donald J. Trump. Uh, we've got a new Fed chairman coming up. We have George Papadopoulos, who uh, don't you? Uh, I've been practicing saying Papadopoulos, by the way. I, I, I'm sure I'm going to screw it up. I had one of my insider Wall Street buddies say that he maybe even perhaps he'd been wearing a wire. Uh, it was a very good source, or I wouldn't even repeat it. But but uh, this is. This is not over. This is kind of the beginning. So when I hear these sorts of things, when I see what's going on on Capitol Hill, and then I, 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 I hear uh, uh, about Tony Podesta uh, resigning from his own firm, the powerhouse Tony Podesta resigning from his own firm, uh, you know, I, 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 I am so glad and feel so fortunate that Matt Leffingwell is a political analyst at Far Miller and Washington and joins us each week on the forecast and we can go to him and get some answers and try to make sense out of all of this nonsense and noise with everything going on. So Matt Lovingwell, welcome. Glad you're with us again. Happy tonight. Halloween. Happy Halloween indeed. Uh, October's in the books. We're moving into the year end, the last the last stretch. We're rounding the final curve and here we go. Hold all tickets. 
this this is going to be a close one. It looks like, particularly if you work on Capitol Hill or in the White House. So uh, lots and lots going on. And remember, Matt Levingwell was the basically the head of the House Appropriations Committee. He has tremendous experience on Capitol Hill. So Matt, tell, let's 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 go ahead um, and start talking about what's what's going on with uh, Mueller. Uh, and and these indictments and what all of this means, please. Well, just to start off, I mean, let's be clear that the, like the indictments that uh, that were uh, that happened uh, yesterday or last night and into this morning uh, were not the first ones. It was revealed, as you mentioned, that George Papadopoulos was indicted in early October. Now, the significance of this is that he is a 30-year-old with a very thin resume who was a foreign policy advisor on the Trump campaign. You have to. I, this 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 kid is. Scared. Wait a minute. You're talking about. You're to, wait wait wait. You're talking about Papadopoulos. I'm talking talking about Papadopoulos, and he was a thirty years old. Thirty years old. You know, he even had Model UN on his resume still, uh, which you probably remember him from Model UN. And uh, you know, he is. He's, wait a minute. Wait 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 wait. wait, wait. <laughs> that's on his resume. I mean, that's what gives this guy the chops to be in the White House. He was on the Model UN in high school. Yeah, that that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it was a very. I mean, that's and that's really what you get when you hire very, you know inexperienced high staff school. like this. High school. High, high school. school. He had, really. He had. We've got. We've got <laughs> he had Model UN still on. Wait wait, wait wait wait. Was he in? What did he? Was he in the band? <laughs> did he? Did he? I he, mean, he looks like a. Trombone player to me. He was on the. Wait a minute. He was on foreign relations. He was working with some foreign governments. Did was he like on French Club or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, it just, I have to go back. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, I could be very qualified all of a sudden to be in the White House. I never knew that. Be ambassador to Zambia by now. But you know, <laughs> th- th- this goes to the point where if you hire inexperienced or you know or uh, ethically dubious people on your campaign. You're going to wind up with a mess we're, like we're, this. And we're not suggesting that he's ethically dubious here on the far cast. No, we're not, definitely not. experience seems to be safe. But one could find people who perhaps could be ethically challenged, right, somewhere in Washington. That's exactly right. But, you know, yes. moving to the Manafort and the Rick Gates indictments, these guys, yes. are, these guys are old, you know, they're old, you know, lobbyists. They've been around a long time. They've represented uh, clients such as Ferdinand Marcos, the Burmese junta, uh, the former Ukrainian president, Yanukovych, and where they got tripped up in uh, this indictment, as it's not related directly to you know, Mueller's. Uh, that's uh, really quite that's really quite like a holy trinity there, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, do you think they were all altar boys at the same parish? Perhaps? I mean, that's not that's not a list of uh, sterling characters. No. you just read. <laughs> no, and, you know. Oh, and I forgot to mention Angolan uh, rebel leader uh, who's now deceased, Jonas Amimbi. <laughs> so, you know, the- wait, 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 wait. Give us, give us those, give us those names again. Yeah. So, former Ukrainian president Yanukovych, the Burmese yes. junta, uh, Ferdinand uh, uh, Marcos. Remember the former president of uh, the Philippines, whose wife had a great shoe collection. The and then shoe you, collection, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you know the former Angolan rebel leader Jonas Sabimbi, who then was was shot up a few years back. 
Uh, so those were his clients, and they made him a lot well, of money. Uh, I mean, so, what could, so those are your four big clients. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you might as well cater only to the five families in New York and, and, and wonder, you know, if you should have somebody else start your car. I mean, really. <laughs> and maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe Manafort and Gates didn't start their own cars. Probably didn't. They've got to drive with this much money. Or were those remote starters or something. But, you know. Wow. So, you know, those guys, so these guys have had some. I would say some dubious clients over the years that have made them a lot of money. Now, I'll tell you something, though. What made the front page of Politico today was not their indictments. It was it was the fact that Tony Podesta, who is implicated in their in in, in Manafort's and Gates's indictments, uh, his firm was implicated uh, because they did have a partnership on this pro-Russian um, uh, Ukrainian uh, nonprofit that was affiliated with a uh, pro-Russian political party. Now that that is the Tony Podesta for those outside the Beltway, you know, I go home to mom and dad at Thanksgiving and I mention his name. No one knows who he is. In uh, D.C., he's the biggest Democrat lobbyist here, and he's one of the biggest bundlers, uh, which I will explain what that is in a moment. But the but we up in Capitol Hill, and I was up on the Senate side today. That is the talk of the town right now. The fact that he, with the with the firm that he and his brother John Podesta, former Hillary Clinton uh, campaign manager. Founded in 1988, um, and you know these guys represent you know household brands like Wells Fargo and Philip Morris and uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know all the you know, Lockheed Martin. Um, these guys were the but biggest. This, I mean the Podesta firm, the Podesta group. That, I mean they just minted. They've minted money. I mean it's been hugely lucrative, right? I mean these. This is the powerhouse firm, particularly. For the Democrat side of the aisle, right? Absolutely. And I actually pulled some of their client list today, and I look at, like, Milan Pharmaceuticals was paying them $560,000 a year. I mean, that's that's one about, like, 40, 40 to 50 clients. You know, Diageo, a smaller client, was, you know, the liquor distributor, paying them $150,000 a year. I mean, these this is big-time lobbying, big-time money. Uh, so, now, I, I want to talk about that for a minute, just, just, just to take a look. So if, if Mylan Labs is hiring a lobbyist, I, I want to talk about lobbying in general here just for a minute. Sure. L- lobbying. I'm going to Mylan Labs uh, is going to pay a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. over a half a million dollars a year. Why? What do they get for over a half a million dollars a year to that lobbyist? Well, through Podesta, they get access. And when, you know, something like the, uh, you know, uh, when Obamacare was being crafted, uh, you, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these companies beefed up their, their lobbying, lobbying presence on Capitol Hill. Now, this Milan bill is from, you know, 2016. And they, this was likely for, you know, someone like a Tony Podesta with, access, you know, very good access to the Obama administration. He's very close with the Obamas and the Clintons, and his brother is running uh, Hillary's campaign. Um, you know, I'm sure it was to help, in, you know, to influence, you know, F, perhaps FDA, uh, you know, rules or any other sort of, you know, rule or regulation that would, that would likely impact the pharmaceutical industry. And so you, you have, you know, all these firms you know, want to have continued access and presence. And if you hire somebody like a Podesta group, you've got the best of the best. You, this guy is like someone who, who has Bill Clinton's cell phone number on his phone. He can, okay, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm going to, I've got companies, you've got companies, and, and, and I'm sorry if this, if this seems too basic and simple, but I just think a lot of people don't understand lobbying or how it works, even within the Constitution. I mean, 
I've got a, I, I'm sitting, you know, thinking I've got my elected representative in Washington who is there to pursue my interests. So what are these people doing spending over a half a million dollars a year to influence my representative, whom I elected, who I think is looking out for me? I, I'm not paying him anything other than my taxes. But, uh, I mean, somebody else is this company is going to give him over a half a million dollars a year to influence him to do what they want him to do, and 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 why is that legal? Well, you know, let me let me go back. It, it's first off, this is a constitutional right. It is in the First Amendment that you have a right to solicit your government. Now, obviously, over time, this has evolved. Not all people can get to Washington or can get access to you know their member of Congress or their senator or even you know the president. Obviously, you know each member of Congress represents seven hundred fifty thousand uh, people on average. And they have, you know, businesses based in their in their districts, they, which, you know, create jobs. So there are multiple interests going on at the same time. So over the, over the years, lobbying has evolved. It wasn't until, which is interesting, and I'll get to this in a moment, but what was an interesting was that there was very little disclosure on those who are lobbyists, uh, you know, pr- professional lobbyists, until 1995 when the Lobbying Disclosure Act was enacted. And this was the first time that there was actually – Real, you know, the the sun was shown on who these people were representing, and uh, you know, as a former congressional staffer, you know, you see good ones and you see bad ones, and the good ones are there to provide you information because we were we were as a congressional staffer, I was dealing with a hundred issues a day, ranging from you know a conservation issue to a defense issue to uh, you know a water issue. So you, you there's such a range, and we in. And frankly, a good lobbyist will provide you information, albeit biased on behalf of their clients. And you, but they do ha- play a role in educating you. And, and frankly, so you've got a hundred, you've got a hundred issues, and somebody who's lobbying for the environment is going to give you a fact sheet and try and tell you exactly, specifically why this is important, so you can be informed enough to vote or to talk to your member about it, right? That's ex- that's exactly right. And, you know, we, I, obviously, the longer you're on Capitol Hill or you're or you're at an agency who is working with lobbyists, you, you, you know, are able to weed out the biases and the information. And, and then, you know, we have resources that we had resources through the Library of Congress. Uh, but there's so much information out there. And so, frankly, if I were to be approached by a lobbyist representing Lockheed Martin, for example, I would take their information, but then I would match it up with non, you know, non less biased information. Let's say from the Library of Congress, who has you know nonpartisan researchers working, you know, around the year to collect information and provide you know staff and members of Congress with. And is that normal for staffers to do? Do you think all staffers do that? I mean, that sounds like you're vigilant. No, sounds, fr- no, frankly, like you're conscientious, huh? Well, fr- well, I you know I believe I was. I think, frankly, no, I don't think that happens all the time. I think it's easy when you know a lobbyist who you have a relationship with, with walks in your office and hands you, you know, a stack of information, you know, it's probably accurate. However, it's probably spun in a very, uh, you know, very, a very, uh, 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 you know, beneficial way for whatever that firm or whatever that client well, is. If Farm Miller in Washington wants to hire a lobbyist, what's it going to cost us? Uh, what's it going to cost us uh, to, to hire a lobbyist to pursue our interests uh, on Capitol Hill? Sure. You know, and the, the uh, be, roughly between 10 and 30,000, I would say. I mean, I've seen a lot of contracts and, and really it was a lot higher. And, uh, you know, not to get, you know, off track, but before, yeah, wait a minute. So 10 and 10 to 30,000 a month a year. So a, no, I, no, 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 no. The t- 10 and 30,000 dollars a month. Ten to thirty thousand dollars a month 
Yes. For me to have somebody go up to Capitol, how many how many clients does that person have? I mean, look, I mean, the Podesta group, for example, had, you know, 40 to 50 clients. It, it ranges. I mean, you know, they were one of the bigger firms. There are a lot of these small, you know, mom and pop shops that have, you know, 10 clients, let's say. And you have like, five, you know, five or six people working there. I mean, Podesta group has, you know, 60 people or so, you know, working at that firm. Uh, so you really, they, you know, at one time they had, you know, an office overseas. I'm not sure if that, that exists anymore, but you know, before the earmark ban, I mean, these, these, which happened as a result of the Jack Abramoff scandal back in 06. Oh yeah. I remember that. You remember that? And, uh, you know, he, I think he has a deli or something now, uh, once he got out of jail, makes a good (laughs) ham sandwich, but he, uh, uh, so, you know, he, but back then when lobbyists were able to, you know, better influence, where the money, you know, money went, uh, they could go, you know, back then before reform happened, they were able to help get money directly into, you know, to a private client that no longer exists. But, you know, back then, you know, a lobbyist could easily charge 50 to $60,000 a month. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so this is a huge money business and influencing Washington. And clearly for, uh, well, Mr. Manafort, uh, Mr. Gates and Mr. Podesta, uh, it's gone wrong because they didn't exactly abide by the rules, right? And well, y- yes, uh, yes, and no. I mean, or that's the accusation. Well, right? that the accusation is well, and they so they were dealing with a little bit different of a situation. There's a, a a different disclosure if you're representing the interest of a foreign government, and there was a law that was passed in 1938 called the Foreign Agents Registration Act. It's known as a FARA Act. Now, this is a really tricky situation because instead of, you know, with if you're just lobbying for a domestic client, you know, a Lockheed Martin, you just you you file disclosures with the U.S. Senate clerk. Now, if you're representing somebody like the Ukrainian interests, like they were in this situation or, or you know, Amelda Marcus's shoe collection, you have to register with the Justice Department. And that is a much more onerous disclosure process. And I used to deal with them with far registered lobbyists frequently because I dealt with I I was managing the State Department budget on Capitol Hill. So if a far lobbyist, someone who is registered with the with the Justice Department and representing a foreign interest comes in. Right. That I am like they have to report every single conversation they have with me. And the, 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 the subjects covered, even if they call me and ask me to go to go meet them for a cup of coffee, that has to be disclosed. And that every ex- that, that, that they called they called Leffingwell at appropriations and it was a five minute conversation. And, and they have to they have to log that in. That's exactly right. Now, well, I, so not only are these companies like Mylan Labs and other trade associations paying these lobbyists to try and guide and direct what happens on Capitol Hill. Foreign governments are paying just as much money to the same group of lobbyists in general to try and influence U.S. policy to their benefit. You know, oftentimes foreign governments are paying a lot more. I mean, there was a contract uh, that, you know, the Egyptian government uh, receives a large, a large amount of military assistance from the U.S. government. And they were paying a firm a few years back two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month in one contract. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month. That's correct. And, uh, and they are uh, they want, you know, they are going after the big guys. They're going after the Podestas. They want the people with access. 
And they want people can call, do everything from call the White House to call Capitol Hill and get that. They don't want to talk to you. Know, they don't want to have somebody talk to a staffer. You they know, want to talk to the member. It occurs to me, I have an office at 19th and K Streets, and I know where the White House is. I may be in the wrong business here. I should be calling, uh, you know, I mean, for that kind of money, I could make a lot of phone calls. Okay, Matt, uh, we're, we're moving through our time here, um, and, and I want to make sure we get – I want your before we talk about the potential new Fed Federal Reserve chairman uh, announcement coming up. Give us your take, please, on what's really going on with these indictments. Where are we in the process? What do you think the fallout is? I mean, from this uh, Manafort, I, I, I didn't see anything directly attached or connected to the president or the administration in this indictment of Gates and, and, and uh, Manafort. Is there? Yeah, and no, and you know, that's also the criticism from Republicans on Cap- some some Republicans on Capitol Hill of the Mueller investigation right now is that there's actually no direct uh, connection to, you know, Russian interference in the elections. So, you know, if you look at the Wall Street Journal today, they will argue that, you know, look, this, you know, yes, they didn't, they did not uh, register as FARA, uh, age, you know, foreign agents, and they're, they're, you know, being accused of tax evasion, but that's also not directly related to the Russia investigation, right? Which is where, how the Mueller commission was, uh, you know, formed. So, you know, I think Mueller, though, and I'm in perhaps, you know, it's speculated that his strategy is to get some senior guys, uh, you know, in the fold and get them to try to turn and uh, and help them lead to, you know, uh, you know, evidence directly related to the mandate of the Mueller commission. Right. So this is I mean, you know, so they're trying to get these guys to talk and rat out exactly everybody else who might have been ratty. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, perhaps this is the beginning, not the end of it. I believe this is just the beginning. We're going to have a lot to talk about here on the Farcast coming up more. And you and I like to talk. Matt so. Leffingwell. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I hope that it. I, I hope that uh, there is nothing there. Of course, at any moment that will be the least bit damaging to our country. It certainly seems embarrassing. And remember, we're not. We we go out of our way. I hope to be apolitical on the Farcast. We are concerned about the economy. We're concerned about markets. We're concerned about investors. We're concerned about certainly the United States of America, and we're saying our prayers every day for the president of the United States uh, that this is the best president, uh, that this president can be the best president and will be the best president we've ever had. We hope that you'll uh, keep those good thoughts and prayers going uh, for our president as well. So I'm going to shift now, Matt. Uh, Let's talk uh, quickly about this change at the Federal Reserve, because uh, I, I think this is a big deal. I mean, markets have done very well under Janet Yellen, but what are you hearing about the change at the Fed? Well, I th- you know, I, this is being perceived on Capitol Hill as being one of the, the safest. Jay Powell is the safest choice for this administration. And frankly, for a president who is priding himself on, on uh, you know, job creation or being a b- businessman, you know, any major shake to the markets I th- would, would uh, undermine his credibility on the issue. Um, he was this uh, Powell uh, is really the consensus candidate for the job. Um, I still emphasize what I said last week that you never know what this president's going to do. But for him to shake the markets right now, when he this is you know really one of the uh, you know cr- you know credibly or incredibly uh, claim credit for the success of the markets. Uh, I don't I don't know why he would strategically want to shake that at all. There were two other candidates that. Uh, some, you know, very, uh, very, con- you know, right wing conservative members of Congress were advocating for. But, I, you know, 
you know, let's hope that we, you know, he sticks with uh, with Powell. I think right now, um, I think the markets will probably more most favorably respond to him because he will, you know, uh, likely or it's expected that he will most likely um, mirror the style or the strategy of uh, Janet Yellen. Well, see, I think that's an excellent point. And what I said, uh, what I've been saying consistently on the forecast is, Mr. President, if you want to see the markets pop, reappoint Janet Yellen. Right. Reappoint Janet Yellen. Markets like Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen's dovish. Janet Yellen isn't scaring anybody. We're very comfortable uh, with uh, Madam Queen Yellen there. And so, you know, OK, keep her. But if you're going to. So Jay Powell, I've known Jay Powell, Matt, for, for a long time. He's a friend. Uh, and, I mean, we're not best friends, but Jay's been a friend for a long time. And I remember the conversations I had with Jay in 2011 over the summer when we came to that government shutdown. And I see Jay, I know Jay is a balanced, thoughtful guy. He's not a hawk. He's not a dove. I mean, so he's this balanced pragmatist who will pursue an economic good and to as much of an extent as anybody can turn a deaf ear to politics. Now, in 2011, when when the government was getting ready to shut down, and this was right, this was just before the government, when it did shut down, lost its AAA debt rating. We're now a AA plus in the U.S., of course. In 2011, he published a study right at that moment showing exactly how much money it cost the U.S. government to function on a daily basis. Now, it was specific for the months coming up of September through December that year. It was a day-by-day account. It was the first time, really cool, it was the first time that I'd see anything that granular and it explained what Secretary Geithner, Treasury Secretary Geithner, would have to do, how much money he had to find so as not to default on U.S. obligations. So this was two years after the financial crisis. The, uh, the government uh, shutdown was, was uh, looming. Our loss of our AAA rating, it was a very traumatic period. And in this traumatic period, Typical Jay Powell fashion, he goes right to the numbers and starts parsing things out and says, okay, we've got a storm raging around us, but let's see what it really means and what it's really going to cost. So he's also a Georgetown University lawyer. He'd be actually the first chair in Fed chair in decades to not hold a Ph.D. in economics. So uh, I think that's kind of a big deal. But, you know, for years they didn't have economic economists as PhD, you know, PhD economists running the Fed. They had business people running the Fed and they had lawyers running the Fed. So the Fed right now is overrun with PhD economists and maybe a lawyerly's perspective may be helpful. You know, he did work at Treasury. Uh, he worked in some think tanks. He worked at the Carlisle Group. He's got some pretty good credentials. So I'm all for giving this guy a chance. I think he's a good, solid, balanced guy. You heard it here first on the on the forecast. Have you heard anything inside from the White House about how anything might happen there, Matt, about my friend uh, Jay Powell? I, everybody's pretty confident that he'll win confirmation fairly easily. He was the, uh, you know, his candidacy was being pushed by uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Uh, but as you said, he's perceived on the Hill as being a balanced guy. I mean, he worked in the George H.W. Bush and then was an Obama appointee to the to the, you know, to the Fed board. Um, and, you know, although you have some, you know, some, uh, you know, more conservative members of, uh, of the Republican Party who this was not their top choice, 
uh, people are very confident on the Hill, and I asked the question when I was up on the Senate side today. They're confident that this will be a fairly uh, easy uh, confirmation, and the White House uh, will, you know, will work it. Uh, you know, I, I think Gary, you'll see Gary Cohn and uh, Secretary Mnuchin um, working it behind the scenes with members. So if you want to know what's going on in the markets and you want to know a different way to think about your portfolio, if you want to know about what's going on in, uh, on Capitol Hill and all of the news, how we should think about all of the news coming out of the government and what it really might mean and break it down so that you can be the smartest guy at your cocktail party, you've got to listen to Matt Leffingwell. You've got to listen to Kenny Polcari. You've got to turn in, tune in to the forecast. It's just you got to be with us. We need you. You're part of our family now. Matt Leffingwell, I learn so much every time I talk to you. I'm so grateful you're at Farm Miller in Washington, and I'm so grateful you've joined me tonight on the far, on the Farcast. Thank you very much. Safe, safe trick or treating, okay? Safe. We're going to do that tonight. Yes, I, I scare people, you know, <laughs> even uh, without the costume. But uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to the Farcast. Once again this week, we have another great program. Really excited about next week. We hope you'll join us again uh, uh, for next week. But uh, one final word on behalf of Susan Candace, who is head of compliance at Farm Miller in Washington. Please know that everything that we've discussed tonight has been for informational purposes only. We have not made a recommendation to buy or sell. We're not recommending any security purchase or sale, any particular type of investment advice or strategy. If you think you've heard one, you haven't. So go back to your uh, investment counselor, get some professional advice. uh, And for your own portfolio, don't make any changes in your portfolio based on anything you may have heard uh, on the forecast. I cannot thank you enough. And uh, for the uh, Farcast team, uh, for Boris, for Matt Leffingwell, and for my great friend Kenny Polcari, we wish you great investing, profitable investing, and a great night. We'll see you next week. I'm Michael Farr.